Pastor. Good morning. Great joy to open God's word with you. I'd like to ask you to turn to the book of Galatians. It's been a few weeks. We spent the summer looking at the Psalms, the Messianic Psalms. We began a series in Galatians uh, towards the start of this year, and we're looking at Paul's earliest letter to the Christian church, and in this, he is looking to redirect an entire Christian community that has had the purity, the simplicity, the beauty of the gospel subverted among them through false teaching about how we are right with God. And where we pick this up now in chapter five is right after Paul has made an analogy, an allegory, he calls it, from the book of Genesis where he, he says, you know, Abraham actually had two sons. One was Isaac, but the other one was Ishmael. Ishmael was born of a slave for slavery. But Isaac was born of promise. And then he says to these people in Galatia, you're not slaves. You're sons. You're born of promise. You're born of the gospel. And it's the gospel that turns us from slaves into sons, that establishes us in freedom. You are all sons and daughters of God. And that's based not on your performance, not on what you have done, but what, on Christ, what Christ has done for us at the cross. And he wants to drive that home. You are a free people. 60 years ago next week, 60 years ago next week, Dr. Martin Luther King a young African-American Baptist preacher stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. on the 100th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. And he began a speech which became, arguably, the greatest speech, greatest American speech of the 20th century. Scholars debate all that and that's at the top of every list or near the top. And you'll remember how that speech came to such a dramatic conclusion when, when Mahalia Jackson, a great singer, jumped up in front and said, tell him about the dream. And he said, I have a dream. And in that peroration that led to finally him quoting from the old spiritual, you know it, Free at last, free at last, say it with me, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. And 250,000 people standing there that day erupted in rapturous applause and shouts of joy and thousands more watching across the country in words that have reverberated down to us today. Free at last. The, the source for King's message that day where he was rooting it was in the promise of freedom in the Declaration of Independence, which of course is a staggeringly beautiful document. But the roots of our freedom in Christ are deeper than the Declaration of Independence. They're more ancient. They are not the words of man, but the word of God. And I'd like for you to read about true freedom with me in Galatians chapter five, the ultimate freedom. Galatians chapter five, we're gonna read a couple of verses. Galatians five, 
one, and then we're gonna read seven and eight, and then we're gonna read 13. And let me tell you what my objective is. If you went on a tour with me of, of London, we, and you said to me, we, I've got three days, four days in London, how do I do this? I would say, well, we're gonna take one of those, those open top buses and we're gonna drive around for a few hours on the first day. Here's all the sights. And then we'll, we'll, we'll see the big stuff. And then over the next few days, we'll go back and revisit it. And what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna get in an open top bus and we're gonna go around chapter five and I'm gonna show you the high points. And then over the next few Sundays, we're gonna, we're gonna come back and we're gonna, we're gonna dig into this stuff, okay? So, so this is the 30,000 foot view the open top bus view of Galatians 5. So I want you to catch the big picture of what Paul is doing in this chapter. Chapter 5, verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Verse 7, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who called you. These people are being, they're, they're having the gospel subverted. They're being drawn away from the truth of Christ. He doesn't want that to happen. And so then verse 13 again, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Our story of freedom in the Bible begins thousands of years ago with a man who had met God at a burning bush and been sent to Egypt, Moses. He appears before Pharaoh where all of his brothers and sisters, his fellow Israelites are slaves. And he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go that they may serve me. Let my people go. And in that proclamation, in that declaration, he began to see God's power come into Egypt and liberate his people. This great exodus took place. But there is a greater and truer Moses, a greater and more ultimate emancipation, a greater exodus that comes in Jesus. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared to Christ and the other apostles who were gathered there with Jesus on the mountain. And it says they were talking about Jesus' crucifixion and they called it the exodus that was coming. When Jesus gave his life for us on the cross, he was the true and greater Moses who led not just the Israelites, but all of those who would put their trust in him into a, a greater freedom from an even greater tyranny. And Paul the apostle knew that exodus story and he knew that now what had happened was that the Passover lamb had been sacrificed. That just as in Moses' day, they had put the blood of a Passover lamb on the, on the doorposts, over the door, and, and the angel of death had passed over, and all those who were within the house were then free to go. He knew that the lamb of God, the Passover lamb, Christ himself had come. His blood had been shed. And therefore, it wasn't just Israelites who were free. Now, freedom was for the whole human race. And he went out announcing that freedom. But you know, freedom, freedom is not something everybody wants everybody else to have. I was in Maine one summer, 
And I was uh, talking to a, a guy who was down the coast and he was getting ready to go out and, uh, and, and he was gonna be fishing for, for crabs. I said, well, how do you do? He goes, well, I got this basket. We had these big baskets. And he dumps the basket in. I said, well, I was looking at the basket. I said, where's the lid? He goes, I don't need a lid. So what do you mean you don't need a lid? Won't they get out? He goes, no, once I've got them in there, if one starts to crawl out, the others will pull them back down. I see Christians do that to other Christians all the time. They'll say, oh, no, 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 don't get too excited about your freedom. You're free, but, but, but let, me, let me make sure that you're not as free as maybe you think you are. There are two great enemies of freedom in this chapter. Martin Luther, when he talked about it, said that most, most people are like a drunk man on a horse. <laughs> Luther was colorful. Like a drunk man on a horse, we fall off on one side, and if somebody helps us up out of the ditch and sticks us back on the horse, then we fall off on the other side. And he said the two sides of the horse, the two enemies of freedom, are legalism on the one hand and license on the other. The one perverts the law. Legalism perverts the law. License perverts freedom. Both subvert the gospel. What is legalism? You see, that's what Paul's dealing with here in Galatians chapter five in the first section. The first section of chapter five is dealing with legalism. And let me tell you the problem with legalism, and it's, it's an ironic problem. Legalism makes too little of the law. Legalism makes too little of the law. You say, well, how could that be? I thought legalism meant that, well, you, you add in some law with the gospel and, and uh, not all of it, but, but just a little bit, just a few rituals and ceremonies. That's it. We don't, and, 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 and just a, a few rules and regulations about what you can drink and what you can eat and what you have to wear if you're a real Christian. But the problem with all of that is a misunderstanding about the nature of the law. You don't approach the law as a menu. You don't take God's commandments and say, well, the way I'm gonna be right with God is by obeying one, four, seven, and six. The rest of them I'm not too sure about. No, how much of the law do you have to keep if you wanna be right with God on the basis of the law? Well, the whole thing. And so the legalist is saying, oh yes, you have to have Jesus, but, but, but you gotta mix in some law, but you don't have to have all of it. And Paul's saying, oh no, 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 no. If you wanna go down that road, you wanna get on the treadmill of imagining that your relationship with God depends on your performance in terms of the law and the law's rituals and the law's requirements, you're gonna have to take the whole law. Look at Galatians 5 again, and we're gonna read the, the first several verses here. It is for freedom. Let's take the bus around the city here. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. See, that's what they were being taught. These false teachers were coming in and saying, oh yes, now you Gentiles, you weren't, you weren't Jews growing up. Now you've become believers in the Jewish Messiah. Now you have to add to your faith circumcision. That's not a real popular altar call, but that's what they were requiring of them. Again, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. 
Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision have any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. It doesn't come from Jesus. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord. You'll take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, he'll have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, if I'm still preaching being right with God on the basis of the law, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And as for those agitators, the false teachers, I wish they'd go the whole way and just emasculate themselves. So if you didn't think Paul had a sense of humor, there you go. Circumcision, he says. Oh, well, don't, why stop there? Just keep cutting. If that's how you're going to be right with God. You say, brother, I can't believe you said that. I didn't. It was Paul. I'm not here to make the news. I'm just here to report it. Why? What's going on here? Legalists make too little of the law. They want to impose laws, rules, rituals, and say, if, you only, if you're a Christian, you must also never drink this. and You must never eat that. And yet Jesus said it's not what goes into a person which defiles them. It's what comes out of what? Their heart. In Matthew and in Mark, the scriptures say Jesus declared all foods clean. And yet there are many people who say, well, if you're a true Christian, you'll never eat bacon. If you're a true Christian... Who says that? Um, if, you're, if you're a true Christian, then you'd be a vegan or whatever it is. Now look, if you want to be a vegan, you want to, you want to be a vegetarian, you want to be a carnivore, you want to be a pescatarian, you want to be a Presbyterian, whatever, <laughs> whatever your dietary choices may be or the medical requirements that may be imposed on you, that's fine. But what you can't do with any of that is then take those and look at other people and say, and if you were a true Christian, you'd obey my rules. I'd impose them on you. Nor can I as a pastor put those on you. We can't as a church put that on you. And say, well, this is the way this has to be. No, I'm, I'm, you don't have to do it. We're never gonna do that because your conscience is accountable to God and you are not right with God on the basis of your performance of God's law. Who has kept the law perfectly? No one but one. And that one is Jesus. He perfectly obeyed it, he perfectly kept it, and then he paid the law's ultimate penalty for sin, which is death. He not only kept it perfectly, so that he's perfectly righteous, he then took upon himself in the cross the penalty for all the laws we broke, and we have broken how many of them? Every single one. Again, the legalists don't take the law seriously enough. Here's what is true about the law. God has his commandments. The scriptures are very clear. If you break one of them, the book of James tells us, you've broken all of them. It's not, a, it's not a series of panes in the window, like I broke that one, but not this one. No, it's a big, big window. If you break it, you've broken all of it. We've broken the whole law of God. I've broken the whole law of God. And the two greatest commandments... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've never, listen friends, I've never for a single moment of my life 
loved God with all of my heart, soul, mind. I wish I had, but I haven't. Never once, not for a moment, not for a second. Why? Because of the power of indwelling sin. I mean, even this morning while I'm preaching the gospel, while I'm preaching up here, I'm hoping you like me. I hope you think it was okay. I had a guy meet me after church one Sunday. He wasn't here since 20 years ago. Nobody here would say this, not yet. Anyway, he said, as we're walking out the door, he's shaking my hand. He said, oh, thank you, I hated it. <laughs> At least he didn't hate me. License, however, is the other side. It's the other danger. It's the other side of the horse. It's the other ditch. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So there's legalists on the one hand and freedomistas on the other side. Now, freedomista is not a word which will get past my spell checker. But it's a good word. We should all be freedom fighters when it comes to the gospel, resisting legalism, but we live in an age which misunderstands freedom and liberty. We live in a time when people subtract love from freedom. We, in our time, hear definitions of freedom that make too little of love. And that's an irony because so many people will say, it's just important that you love yourself. Or they'll go even further and they'll baptize it. And they'll say, God loves you as you are. So just do whatever you please because he just loves you. Oh friend, that makes far too little of God's love. Far too little of God's amazing love. God just loves you as you are. Let me tell you, God loves you so much. Yes, he, he receives you and accepts us as we are because of what Christ has done. God loves us and receives us as we are, but God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And your spouse is saying, thank God. Every parent's saying, thank God. He doesn't leave us the way we are. Well, the love of God is something far deeper, far greater, because here's the thing. We use the term love in terms of affirmation. Everything, everything you're doing is fine. It's your body. Do with it what you want. God loves you. Oh, you were just made that way. So just do, you, you be you. But the scriptures say our hearts are deceitful above all else. They're sick. Again, it's not what goes into a person, that's the legalist, that defiles us. It's what comes out of our heart and what's coming out. Jesus says what's coming out of our heart is fornication, adultery, lying, all forms of deception, cursing instead of blessing. All this stuff pops up out of our heart. The imaginations of our mind, the words of our mouth, the deeds of our hands, the, the path that our feet go on, all of this is contrary to the gospel. All of it is high treason against God. It is a defamation, a vandalization of the image of God that we bear and that we see in each other. Now, the Bible describes freedom as something which is purchased for us at great price. Love, love in the Bible is costly. 
God's love is costly. Love in the scriptures is not only creative, he makes of you a new creation, but it's costly. How so? If you love someone else, then you lay aside all other loves that were competing for your energy, your time, your devotion. You see this guy, you see this gal, and you go, oh, oh, and all others fade. It may be a love of a particular athletic prize. And so everybody thinks you're crazy to get up at four in the morning and, and do those workouts and practice your backswing the way you do on the tennis court. What are you doing? Nobody else does that and then goes to school all day and then come, comes back and practices more. Uh, I'm not leaving the gym until I hit 100 straight free throws. Why? Because you've fallen in love with something. It may be the game, it may be the prize, but you love something. So when you love, you pay a price and you give up lots of things that everybody else is doing, lots of things that everybody else is, is calling you to do and they're completely legit things, but you say no to them because there's a greater love. It's costly. And the supreme cost of love was Christ, who it says in John 13, stripped himself down to a, a towel that he wrapped himself with and washed the disciples' feet because it says he loved them to the end. The love of God caused God to strip himself down to wash us. And that was the night before they stripped him bare and pinned him to a cross. You see, look what it says here. Again, here we go. Let's see the highlights. Serve one another humbly in love. Then verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, lest you be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. There's a battle raging. These are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. See, that's how the modern world defines freedom. Do whatever you want. Be whoever you want to be. I self-identify as a six-foot-seven Basketball player who's thin. <laughs> it's not true. You could try to change your appearance. You could assert an identity. But reality is reality. We are not free to do whatever we want. We're to be led by the Spirit. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he goes into the acts of the flesh. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In other words, he could keep going for a while, but you get the point. All of the stuff I could add to those lists. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So you see, love does not mean live however you want. In fact, it's the exact opposite. When the love of God shows up, it receives us as we are based not on, not on us, but based on what Jesus has done. That's why faith in Jesus is so important. That's why the cross is so central. But the love of God changes and transforms us so that what comes out? The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in you. Love, joy, peace, Patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. In other words, the the things that characterize our community are completely different. The fruit of the Spirit. What's the first one? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. This is why Paul says circumcision, uncircumcision don't matter at all. The only thing that matters, as he says earlier in the chapter, is faith working through love. You see, brothers and sisters, you are not just free from guilt and shame and sin and death. You are free for. You are freed for Jesus Christ and his purpose to live lives that are marked by the filling of the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul says, if I'm preaching a false gospel and the world loves a false gospel, oh my goodness, the world loves a false gospel. But he says, if I preach a false gospel, whether it's legalism or license, add to the gospel or, 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 or just do whatever you want, either end of that spectrum, he says, the offense of the cross is taken away. The offense of the cross. He says, why am I still persecuted? In this case, the offense of the cross is taken away. My friends, the cross is offensive. The cross tells us we've broken God's law and we need to be forgiven. But the cross that redeems us reshapes our lives. It's the ultimate reality we face. The life of a Christian being truly led by the Holy Spirit, oh man, I wish I had a buck for every single time somebody said they were gonna do something contrary to God's word, but they said, but I have a peace about it. Really? It's gonna take you to hell. Your little piece of peace. Because you're violating the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't lead you to disobey God. That's not freedom. That is slavery to self. It's a different kind of slavery. One is slavery to religion, but the other is slavery to self. And this is why Jesus said, if you continue in my word, this is in John's gospel, chapter eight, verse 31 and following, if you continue in my word, then you'll be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Truth as a disciple leads to freedom. Jesus was pinned to the cross, dying a slave's death. That's what Romans did with disobedient slaves. They 
killed him on a cross. They crucified him. He died a slave's death so that you and I could be free. He shed his blood so that we could be free. And that cross not only forgives us, it reshapes us so that our lives are cruciform lives. Our church is a cruciform church. You want to say this church is loving? A loving church does not affirm people in their disobedience. A loving church tells the truth that Jesus must forgive us and Jesus must change us. And it not only says that Jesus must, it says Jesus can and Jesus does. And he's the only hope we have. This is what Marilyn Robinson in her essay, The Givenness of Things, is really getting at. She talks about the way things really are, not the way we wish things were. The reality, the reality is the cross. And if we're going to if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, or we're going to, even if you're thinking about becoming a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to deal with this reality. Reality is you've got, you got to deal with it. You can't manipulate it. You can't redefine it. You can't change it. Well, you can try, but when you're dealing with God, you cannot redefine it. You cannot manipulate God. There are certain parts of the world of creation that you cannot manipulate, you cannot change, you must lean into it, you must live with it as it is. Montana is like that. Tony was out for a walk a couple of weeks ago, she's going down a path, she saw a bear 20 yards away. You, didn't, you know, if you see a bear 20 yards away, you go, do I have the bear spray? I mean, what do we... She did, and she dealt with it in an appropriate manner. The, the, the bear took off, called all of its relatives and said, I saw a Tony today, that's what happened. She calmly walked away. If you're out of Montana, the weather can change. The mountains are what they are, and the winds are what they are. And you can't manipulate them, and you can't control them. You have to lean into it. you got to be prepared. you got to be ready. This is the way things are. It was for freedom that Christ came. Freedom for you. He died a slave so you could be free. Can I ask you a question? Are you free? Are you free? Are you, not, are, you gonna, are you gonna be a freedom fighter and say no, no to all the extra rules and regulations, no to all the traditions of men. I'm free in Jesus. You can't impose your views, whether, whatever those extras are on me to tell me this is what it means to be a true Christian. No, it's just faith in Jesus. And if you got faith in Jesus, are you free? Are you living for yourself? Or have you discovered that real freedom is not slavery to self, and your desires, but through the Holy Spirit. Kindness, kindness, joy, sacrifice for others, love, joy, peace, patience. Oh, I can't wait to get into chapter five with you. I can't wait to get into the details. Stand with me, oh free people. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. Thanks be to the Lord. Lord Jesus, hear our cry. Settle into our hearts the glory of the gospel. Christ died a slave's death to make us free. He became the son of man to make us the sons and daughters of God. And all God's people said, amen. Let's bless the Lord together.